This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 1st of July 2023. Hello, I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up on today's programme, we'll have a leaf through the morning's papers from across the world with artist, author and journalist Sean Pattenden. And a deep dive into the world of divas with Bob Mackey. Everybody expects Shirley Bassey to be just covered in beads and feathers and whatever. And you're disappointed if she comes out in just a normal little evening gown. Darlings, all that coming up right here on Monocle on Saturday. First, though, here's the news. France deployed 45,000 police officers and some armoured vehicles on the streets today as riots rocked French cities for a fourth night over a teenager's fatal shooting by an officer during a traffic stop. Buildings and vehicles have been torched and stores looted and the violence has plunged President Emmanuel Macron into the gravest crisis of his leadership since the Yellow Vest protests that started in 2018. Japan's defence ministry said late on Friday it had spotted two Russian Navy ships in the waters near Taiwan and Japan's Okinawa Islands in the previous four days, following a similar announcement this week from Taiwan. Japan's government said last month that repeated Russian military activity near Japanese territory, including joint drills with Chinese forces, posed serious concern for Japan's national security. And Germany's coalition government is at odds over whether to bow to British pressure and approve the production of Eurofighter Typhoon fighter jets for Saudi Arabia. A deal struck by Riyadh and BAE Systems five years ago for the arms maker to supply 48 such jets was put on hold due to the war in Yemen, where Saudi-led Arab forces intervened in 2015. But since the rapprochement of Saudi Arabia and Iran, which could end their proxy war in Yemen, the British have argued that Germany cannot block the export of Eurofighter jets to third parties. And that's your Monocle Radio News. Hello and welcome to Monocle on Saturday. I am Georgina Godwin and I'm joined now in the studio by Sean Pattenden. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Georgina. I think you're very glad not to have spent last night in a tent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I may have spent some evenings in a tent uh, earlier last weekend. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. talking about Glastonbury, We of are indeed, yeah. Uh, and we're going to come back to that because I <laughs> first actually want to have a look at the big story that's obviously making headlines all over the world, indeed our own headlines too. And that's what on earth is going on in France. Absolutely. As you say, it's dominating every cover page of the newspapers. Telegraph says that France is on the edge of total anarchy. And I don't know that that's an overstatement, actually. It does seem to be absolutely um, uh, incredible there. And the numbers that are getting arrested per night, it was almost 900 on Thursday. It was almost 1,000 yesterday. And this is widespread. It's not just Paris, as we know. It's Lyon and Marseille. And... um, Now it's going to be summer holidays coming up. And so obviously it's dominating the if you are going to France, which is the second most popular holiday destination in the summer for UK people. Mm. 
are there going to be curfews? What's going to happen? I mean, there's such a question mark over the whole thing. And Macron really is being urged that he should uh, impose a state of emergency. And I presume, you know, that those are the things that are going to go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found it quite cheering that the officer responsible immediately apologised, which is not something uh, that uh, one of Mm. our French guests was pointing out yesterday, not something that that would automatically happen. Mm. And of course, that the government has come out saying it is absolutely disgraceful. This should never have happened uh, in, in terms of the shooting. Yes, but as we know, the tensions have been running for a while and and France is known um, for demonstrating vocally and violently when these things happen. And it does seem that, you know, it is just one of those, a domino effect of there is so much mistrust of the government in France that, you mm. know, this is coming out in this way. Well, a huge mistrust of the government mm. here too, of course. Yes. Uh, and a further blow uh, for, for the UK government, although they're going to fight it, which is that the uh, court here has said that they cannot... Uh, deport people to Rwanda. No. Uh, migrants, that is. And it's already cost 140 million, which is what the UK government gave to the Rwandan government, who have built, as we know, these detention centres that are lying empty. Apparently, it's going to cost almost £170,000 per person to be deported there already before anything else happens. Um, and it's just that the government just beavering on and Suella Braveman saying this is a terrible day for Britain it's a terrible day for British people she said when the ruling came came up and um I say they're going to go to the Supreme Court is what their plans to do. So, I mean, so they won't be foiled by this absolutely outrageous idea. It's quite extraordinary. It is. There's something like, I think it's 180,000 uh, vacancies in the hospitality industry right now. <laughs> That's 180,000 jobs going for 180,000 people who I'm sure would love to be here and would work hard. And, and pay their taxes and, and do all taxes. the things that they do. Yes. Uh, and if anybody is in any doubt about Rwanda and why it's not a safe place. I do urge them to read Do Not Disturb. It's written by Michaela Rong uh, and it's about Rwanda and uh, I know that Kagame, Paul Kagame was very much praised at the end of, of the genocide for getting everything back on track there. Read this book you will understand uh, what's really going on in that country and in fact I think there is a, an interview with Michaela um, in our Meet the Writers um, archive so so do do have a look at that but it's it's quite an extraordinary story and I think Breverman is one of the most unpopular politicians we've ever had in this country <laughs> You say that, quite a few of them are unpopular and I have been recently, <laughs> she is the system is rigged against the British people she says and you just sigh don't you? you're rigged against the British people <laughs> Yeah, uh, quite quite extraordinary, mm, um, isn't it? And and just I don't know, it just feels like this huge kind of lack of empathy in any way, to say the very least. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it is it's a pyrrhic victory every time. Mm. I feel they uh, they uh, do this. It's 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 about ideology rather than any practicality and kindness. Mm. It's it's about an ideology that I believe that most people really would be firmly against if they really knew what it was like to cross on a boat and to leave a very unsafe country. Mm. Now, I'm not going to say anything libelous, but I am going to move from Suella Braverman to cannibals. (laughs) Cannibalism. Eating other people. Tell us about this story. Well, our ancient ancestors, who we know were good, solid, wonderful people, actually may have been cannibals. (laughs) Well, that's what um, scientists may have found. 1.5 million years ago... um, there seem to have been ancient human remains 
A large swathe of flesh, apparently including a calf, was precise was precisely sliced off by a prehistoric butcher welding a stone knife, say scientists. They're from the Smithsonian incident and they have found lots of cuts and lots of strange marks that would only be caused by a human and might be caused by a human then just about to ravage you and eat you. Well, they don't know that they ate them, though. They might have just been cutting them up. They might have been cutting them up. <laughs> I mean, There's no that's any film footage, obviously, <laughs> of it, although we are waiting for that. <laughs> but there's something about um, consuming each other for nutrition in this piece. It's in the Telegraph. And this fossil suggests that our species' relatives were eating each other to survive further into the past than we recognised. Yeah. I mean, how does that make you feel about humans, Georgina? Well, are, are we really hardwired to eat each other? Delicious. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about Madonna uh, because she is amazing, isn't she? Just the way she keeps going. But sadly, this week she had to stop. She had to stop keeping going and now she's keeping going again. Yeah, she was in ICU, wasn't she, for a bacterial infection. But a lot of people were very worried and and there were lots of shots of the family coming to visit her in hospital and lots of fans on the internet saying, actually, hang on, maybe this is the point where we realise that our idol is mortal. Um, So, yes, it seemed to be far more serious than something, you know, like a sort of a torn cartilage or something I think yeah. she was quite sick mm. yes. and I thought there was a really interesting piece uh, I think it was in the Times yesterday talking about what happens when a tour is cancelled because of course these mm. venues are booked up years yes. in advance yes. uh, and so obviously you're, you're really hoping insurance will pay out if that's mm. the thing and it was also saying that you, you don't announce that it's been postponed until you've got new dates locked in because that stops people asking for refunds Ah, apparently. of course um, yes so um. So she will reschedule, we're told. Um, yeah. But anyway, speaking of divas, mm. the Victoria and Albert Museum in London has just opened a new exhibition. It's dedicated to the power of diva, celebrating their enormous creativity and role in society. Well, Monocle Radio's senior correspondent, Fernando Augusto Pacheco, wrote about his own devotion in the Monocle Minute last week. There's something alluring about divas, the iconic female performers whose strong personalities have left a mark across the international film industry, opera stages and popular music. While they always played a strong part in my life, it is gratifying to see that they are now being celebrated in a new blockbuster exhibition entitled Diva at London's Victorian Albert Museum. Although the word means goddess in Italian, diva has also been used to negatively describe female celebrities whose edgy personalities have been perceived as difficult amongst male-dominated entertainment industries. It is a view that the new exhibition aims to redefine. Here divas are represented as revolutionaries and non-conformists whose hard-headedness and eccentric personalities have successfully changed societal norms. Among the exhibition's highlights are the diverse collections of elaborate dresses worn by opera prima donnas in the 19th century and by modern music icons, from Carlos to Cher to Tina Turner and Madonna. Their outfits feature bright colors, jewelry, bird plumes, wings and many such contraptions aimed at enhancing the performers' extravagance and to make them stand out among the crowd. 
a rollout of images from the scintillating Grace Jones to the great Dolly Parton is also projected onto the museum's ceiling, creating a planetarium of remarkable women. Celebrities and role models don't always need to be nice. Irreverent, powerful and glamorous, divas represent the rejection of dullness in society and an alternative to a world full of boring conformist stars. Not only are they an essential part of the entertainment industry, but of society as a whole. As the late lamented Mae West put it in her 1933 film, I'm no angel, when I'm good, I'm very good. But when I'm bad, I'm better. From Monaco, I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And for more glorious adulation of divas and cultural figures, make sure you subscribe to the Monocle Minute at monocle.com. Now, Bob Mackie is the fashion designer behind countless diva looks, from Marilyn Monroe to Tina Turner, often creating some of the most extravagant looks with not very much fabric. Monocle on Culture's Rob Bowne caught up with Bob at the exhibition. He began by asking whether he was designing for divas or simply for performers and friends. I call you, I need you, my heart's on fire. As a designer, a theatrical designer, you better know exactly who that is, what they look like, what they do when they're on stage, or just in person. You know, you have to know how they move, what the audience wants to see them in, or how they how they think of them. And uh you know, it's 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 Scottish school. <laughs> yeah. And are you? How collaborative were those designs? Did you do a number of sketches? Was it a one-hit wonder? How much back and forth was that? People have a lot. Some some clients. So use the word client. That's so. You know, like doctors. You know, patients. Welcome to clients at the VNA. Yes, clients um, have a lot of ideas. And a lot of them are very smart. They know what works for them, what doesn't. And usually the ones that have been in the business for a while. And then there are others that just trust you because you've done well with them. And those are most of mine. They trust me. You mentioned Cher. These are stunning, stunning outfits up here. Opening outfits for a Vegas show. You walk out, the audience goes crazy. This is kapow, right? Kapow. But bits and pieces come off in layers, and the boys will come in and remove the collar. And then later they'll remove the outer. And then underneath is a whole other kind of wildness that you you know it's you it's part of the entertainment value it's it's all visual these are incredible things these are multi-layered constructions as you as you said they serve a specific purpose in a show always but quite a lot of them for her especially worked beautifully and then if if i design her something and she says well don't i have something i can remove later you know she wants she's gotten used to it and you get a reaction from your audience when when you do that and, and it's okay. That's, that's her thing. Others that put one dress on, they sing a medley of songs, they go off and they change to another dress and do another one. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's as simple as that. 
And, I mean, I know you've talked about the fire dress a lot, Tina Turner's fire dress. This has been often copied, never perfected, other than by yourself and Tina wearing it. But tell us the story of that. Well, there was a time when Tina, Tina didn't have much money, and whatever she had, I sort of took it and used it for whatever. And, uh, and she, but she would go to these sort of inexpensive little boutiques, you know, on the left bank or whatever, and, and buy a dress. And she thought, what could I do with this to make it more Tina? And uh, she'd bring them in to me when I first met her. She said, would you help me with these? And she'd put on these little cocktail dresses. And she said, do you have scissors? And we would start, you know, cutting into them and making, I mean, with those legs, those incredible legs. And uh, A good canvas there. Beautiful, beautiful, and, and great great presence on stage and funny and 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 just charm the audience and, and scare the hell out of them at the same time you know when you're known for that not to disappoint your audience you can't di disappoint them you, you have to look the way they want you they expect you to, to look I mean even this, I didn't do those but the Shirley Bassey gowns everybody expects Shirley Bassey to be just covered in beads and feathers and whatever and you're disappointed if she comes out in just a normal little evening gown why you know why why do that what happened short changed short changed you don't want that you know? Bob Mucky um, thank you so much for talking us through a tiny five minutes of your wonderful career thank you thank, thank you thank you Rob Barnes speaking to the fashion designer Bob Mackey. And for more on Diva, tune into Monocle on Culture. Tina Turner, how we miss her. Oh, yes, don't, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, just thinking about modern divas, uh, Lizzo was at Glastonbury, wasn't she? She certainly was, and she wowed the crowds. Yes, she was incredible. Lana Del Rey, sort of the polar opposite, came late, <laughs> sang some songs, and then just got booted off because she was too late. Yeah, they turned the electricity off. People were a little bit upset. So, yes, different imagine. side of the diva coin. Yeah. And then didn't she leave the audience in kind of singing her songs anyway? <laughs> in the blackout, yeah. yes. She had a go. Very, yes. very odd. Well, what about um, uh, an, an, what's the word? Not fantasy, but a, a diva that isn't real. I'm here. I'm talking about Barbie, actually. Because <laughs> the marketing machine is now going into overdrive for the Barbie movie, which is out 20th of July, I think everywhere. And Margot Robbie is doing a lot of meet and greets, it seems. And um, expectations, they say, are high. This is Greta Gerwig, an indie director, really, rather than someone enormously mainstream. And they promise to sort of counter everything and to bring us the most diverse Barbie movie in the world that's not about the pink and is not about this ideal of womanhood. This is completely impossible to How to wonderful. To. Yes, yes. So it is quite exciting. They say, if you love Barbie, you're going to love the movie. If you don't love Barbie, you're going to love the movie. Oh, 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 I see. Oh, it's like that, is it? And yet it's got a lot of 
fans out who actually just like the unironic Barbie. <laughs> there are a lot of people just talking about how lovely Barbie is and she's pink and she's beautiful and she's thin. Yeah, so it's, it's, the irony meter hasn't got to everybody. Yeah, how extraordinary. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. It's actually quite exciting, isn't it? I really want to see it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now, we said we were going to talk about Glastonbury, where Lizzo mm. was, in fact, mm. and Lana Del Rey. Uh, what, how was your Glastonbury experience? It was good. You know and I know that I did leave slightly early <laughs> because of the camping. Glastonbury is wonderful to see lots of different acts and I saw screenings and talks as well as music and as well as walking up a lot of hills. But the camping was difficult. It was very hot. And even if you had a very fancy tent, everyone was hot by, by about seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And if you'd been to bed late, that was quite terribly bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots yeah. of drugs? I didn't see any drugs. I saw a lot of people drinking lager. And and rum. I wasn't obviously with the right crew. A lot of rave ups, as we used to call them in the old days. So you can lead an existence where you don't have to go to sleep. You could stay up if you were that sort of person for four days because there is just stuff to do all night, i.e. dancing yourself silly. Mm. But the sun was so blazing, I think that did affect a lot of it. Um, and Arctic Monkeys apparently was just so awful that it did affect a lot of it. Oh yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was good. But it's now fairly... It's so big. It is not necessarily commercial because the, the sponsors are there for the right reasons and they raise a lot of money for really good charities, I think. But it's such a big enterprise. It, it's difficult to feel the kind of hippie vibe. Mm, mm. I mean, they say that it's, it's, big, it's about as big as the city of Bath. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely huge. It takes a long time to walk from stage to stage or different venue to different venue within that. So you kind of end up camping in one sort of area for the day, if you see what I mean, and just hoping that some good acts will be... Uh, the park stage is my favourite, and I saw a lot of wonderful things at the park stage. We talked about Divas, Kate Blanchett, uh, you know, um, alongside Sparks was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah. yeah. And Tilda Swinton was there as well. Yes, uh, I saw some footage yeah, of that. Ma Max yeah. Richter yeah. on the Saturday morning, which was rather beautiful, actually. Yeah. yeah. It did look mm. fabulous. Mm. Um, China. Yes. Let's talk about China. But in fact, we're not talking about sort of aggression on the ground or trade wars. This is about. Drilling the moon for minerals. Yes. Very intriguing headline, but not that much information on the piece which is in the Times today. China will be drilling the moon for minerals in our lifetimes. And that's sort of it. And then they start talking about cosmic weaponry, which then gets a bit frightening. Um, so China already known for, and other um, states known for, wanting to, you know, seize the universe as such and inner and outer space so that they can use this weaponry mm. and it's a lot about that and it just it's it turns into something quite frightening and rather than about minerals we're going to need for our iphones and all the things that we're running out of on earth mm. um so it's quite curious what did you think of it there's a lot of um, elon musk's satellites in it as well there is what i particularly like actually is this is from the times mm. as you say there's a great um graphic of the moon and the composition of the moon uh, you don't get that in the papery version. Oh, really? Okay, Just, I'm looking yes. at it online, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's a it's a really interesting mm. um, a really interesting uh, graphic. Uh, um, but as you say, this is what this is about. Well, they've released a white paper saying they're mm. looking at critical minerals, and that they've already returned a sample from the moon. Right, and the minerals were. I don't know. To say. <laughs> That's what I want to know, what they exactly are. I'm yeah. sure we will find out. Uh, presumably a lot of this stuff is still wrapped up in confidentiality and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But the heart sinks, isn't it? There's a lot about cosmic um, debris as well, which is still sort of starting to ruin um, 
what, what we have above us and mm. starting to get in the way of things like the, the thing that keeps your iPhone telling you the right time mm. all, all mm. those sorts of things mm. yeah. well, well let's let's go from from the future to, to the deep past um this is stonehenge of the north yes when i was last on you it was there was a cave that you could buy and this is very similar there was a cave in the south and now in the north there is a sort of stonehenge i mean you know it's a mini stonehenge but if you were so inclined and had two hundred thousand pounds you could buy a Stonehenge of the North, which is in... It's called Thornborough Henge, near Richmond in North Yorkshire. And, yeah, it looks cool. And maybe you could have a festival there, or maybe you wouldn't be allowed. Would you buy a henge? Uh, I mean, <laughs> if I had unlimited funds, <laughs> Henge or cave? That's, I would oh, still go for the cave. Uh, I'd go for the henge rather than the cave. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but I think what's what's also really mm. interesting about this is that there are actually three of these henges there mm. interconnected. Two of them belong to, I think it's English Heritage or, yeah, the... the basically yes. a, a state-run body. Um, and it was the third was offered to them and they decided not to take it because it was in better nick than their own ones. And they said, you know, well, we just, we've got something like 400 properties to run mm. throughout this country. <laughs> we can't afford to maintain mm. it. So that's why it's going to a private buyer. But of course, there's not much you can do with it. You almost certainly can't build on it. It's green belt and it's a protected yes. monument. Yes, it would just um, be your henge. Yeah. yeah. And you could probably call it that, maybe, and have people come and camp around it and eat sandwiches and leave their litter. It might be more trouble than it's worth, mightn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about quite, packaging? Quite yeah. possibly. Um, Sean, I can't let you go without talking about this uh, headline from The Times. Online, it is, Hot testicles may hold the secret to elephants' resistance to cancer. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's a story you have to sort of read twice, this one, because there's a lot in it. So it starts with the idea that elephants have 20 times a gene, which is called the TP53 gene, than we do, and that seems to be key at fighting off cancer. It's called the, the guardian of the genome, that, that gene, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. But part of this, and part of the reason why they think of it, is because an elephant's testicles, listeners, are inside rather than outside the body. And it's about keeping them warm for evolutionary reasons. And somehow this means that that gene is in proliferation rather than in us. Elephants are big and they, there is there's sort of an idea that the bigger the mammal, the more likely it will be to get cancer. And it says so here. And yet they're cancer free. So it's interesting. And it's also I mean, there's something about um, sperm production in humans and dwindling sperm. And they may be able to find a way to actually help that in human males as well through more research on this subject. Yeah, it's absolutely I'd never thought about elephant balls <laughs> before. No. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they're keeping the elephants alive. Well, absolutely. But, but, but really could be quite revolutionary in terms of, of, of cancer treatment, if, the, if that can be researched further. I mean, I'm sure it is being... Um, and uh, they're talking about why they've got so many uh, copies of the yeah. of the gene, um, and for some, I mean, they don't know it, mm. basically. Uh, but it's um, it's an absolutely fascinating piece. Um, I found it uh, extraordinarily interesting in the Times, <laughs> listeners. Yeah. If you if you'd like to have a look at that, uh, Sean, what's on for the rest of the day for you? Well, I may be going to see that '90s legendary band Pulp play at Finsbury Park in London tonight which I'm really really excited about yes I am going to see them supported by Baxter Jewelry and Wet Leg Wet Leg who are wonderful too um, so that should be quite a good 
a good, I was going to say nostalgia fest, and that's a terrible cliche, um, but it should be a good nostalgia fest. Yeah. And that's Jarvis Cocker, right? It is Jarvis Cocker. Who, who and we've, both, we've both interviewed, We actually. both have about the same book, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> he was fascinating, though. He, um, uh, he refused to kind of have a, a pre-conversation with me. I mean, we had a chat yeah. on the phone yeah. about roughly how it would be. Yes. But when we got to, I think it was Cheltenham, I did him. Yes. He, he wouldn't, uh, I said, so this is how we're going to do it, as we discussed. And yeah. he was like, hmm whatever and then we got on the stage and he brought out a bin bag yes and just emptied it objects yeah, yes all over the floor and then spent our entire thing crawling around the stage picking yeah. up his objects and talking about it yes out the window went my carefully crafted script <laughs> he did the same with me but i knew he was going to bring the bin bag out because i spoke to him beforehand too so i bought my own objects so i have a few old pulp artifacts from the 90s that i had collected as a fan so i bought them out and he talked about them too so that was good oh, he mimed um, falling out of the window as well when he fell out of the window in sheffield in yeah the i can't 20s. remember the name of his book um I should just look it up because people should uh, have have a listen to that. And in fact, I think that my session with him is actually in our um, ah. um, um, uh, Meet the Writers archive. Yes. Um, we we use some of that um, that material from Cheltenham. So, but fascinating man and playing live tonight, playing in, live tonight and jumping around. Apparently, he jumps around a lot at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. We'll have fun at that. Thank that's you. all we've got time for, Shalane. Uh, that's all for Monocle on Saturday. Many thanks to our studio engineer in London, that's Christy O'Grady, and our producer, Isabella Jewell. Monocle on Saturday returns next weekend. I'm Georgina Godwin. My guest today was Sean Pattenden. Thank you all for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>